Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Draftville, USA Today Network's podcast examining the NFL draft. We're joined by a very, very special guest today. Lance Zerline from NFL.com is joining us. I'm Gentry Estes, joined by Chase Goodbread. And as I say every week, if you are interested in a couple of dudes sitting around talking about the NFL draft, this is the podcast for you. And today, again, we have a third member. Lance, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. I'm doing good. So we're going to get into this. Uh, Lance, you just put out a, a new mock draft for NFL.com. Pretty fascinating stuff. We'll get to that in just a second. Chase, I should I should bring you in here. How, how are you doing this fine Wednesday afternoon? I'm doing well. It's great to see Lance. Lance and I were uh, colleagues for quite a number of years at NFL.com, and uh, he, he just does a super job. Look, kind of loose colleagues. We, we, we didn't work seat to seat <laughs> or hip to hip or anything, but it was always great to see uh, Lance at the Combine, at the Senior Bowl, et cetera. And he does great work for sure at NFL.com. Lance, let's just kind of start there. You write the draft scouting profiles for NFL.com. And I'm not just talking about first round caliber guys. I'm talking about hundreds of guys grading players uh, who are not only draftable, but even a handful who are UFA quality, you know, off the back end of the draft. It's a gargantuan task. Could you just kind of walk our listeners through when and how that process begins and and what goes into that and and, and at what point do you wrap it up i'm figuring out the wrapping it up right now (laughs) i don't know what i'm going to do this year i'm I'm not going to get to 100 this year i'm sorry 500 um i'm at 450 something right now and it's just uh so yeah, there's 270 some odd players drafted. And then anybody who's drafted that we don't have a profile for, I have to have a profile for. So I've got to go watch tape after the draft and write them up. So I want to get as many of them written up beforehand as possible. So my process, a lot of times I'll start watching some of these guys during the summer and, you know, just make myself, uh, get myself familiar with the players, so to speak. Sometimes people ask why I don't just write up scouting reports in advance, but I've just, I've done this too long. There's there's players, Kenny Pickett's a great example. Like that scouting report would be completely null and void this year based on the same thing with Joe Burrow. I mean, there's, there's certain elements that yes. Okay. Joe still has this area of concern, but Joe got so much better that really 2000, only reason that you're looking at 2018 is for context. Because 2019 is what you're judging Joe Burrow on, and you might use some of you know his mistakes in 18 as context. Like you know, this has been a concern for him in the past. So you watch a little in the summer of the year prior. But for me, Chase, what I like to do is I don't like to get bits and pieces because I feel like it. You develop a a filter either negatively or positively towards a player based on a single game, and so I I don't prefer to write players up or even or even start to really create a, a firm identity of, of on the player from a draft standpoint and perspective until I get all the tape. So what I want to do is I want to get at least a majority of the tape. I'm, I'm looking, I start off with guys who might be on the senior bowl watch list and I'll start watching those guys because I figure those guys have a good chance of getting drafted. Jim Nagy and his staff do a great job. And so um, I'll start watching those guys sometime in late October. I'll get a tape update and I'll start watching. Then every two to three weeks, I'll send a, 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 
a two terabyte um, hard drive. I'll send, uh, or actually this one's like four to six. Actually, the one I have now is eight, but I'll send it to my guy in New York who works for the league and he will load it up with whatever tape is on the NFL's database at that time in their vaults. And that's really dependent upon which teams have loaded that tape up. And then I'll plug it into my system and I'll see what I have. And so I'll start writing some players up late October, um, a, a few, a handful, 10 maybe. And then November is really when I start. So November, um, obviously I get more tape as I go along, but I have to really start. I have to hit the ground running in November. I like to get close to 80 players finished by November if possible. And all the while updating tape with my central system so I have as much as possible. Because what I want to do is I want to see your good and bad all in one sitting. If I'm going to write a guy up, I don't want to write up part of him right here, have a have an idea of who he is, and then let that have an influence uh, or, or confirmation bias when I watch tape later. I like to have all your good and all your bad, and I want to get through it and keep as open a mind as possible. So a lot of times the very best players I'm not writing until December after – you know, I have uh, a majority, if not all, of the tape, relatively speaking, of course. You have conference championship games sometimes, and sometimes you have, uh, obviously, bowl games for some of these guys. So I'll write about 80 there, and, and then my next, I have to have all the senior bowl guys done, so I'll write all the players who make it to the senior bowl by late January. My next deadline is combine, so I have to have all 334 to 337 players finished by the end of February by combine week. I have to have that all finished, my scouting reports. And then in terms of, uh, and then after that, I just, what I do is, is they're called ghost lists. I start putting together a list of guys that I think have a chance to get drafted. Sometimes they're based on conversations with teams. A lot of times they're based on pro day testing. Sometimes they're based on just, you know, guys that have performed well, that have been first or second team all conference from major conferences and then first team from FCS or or non-power five conferences. I want to take a look at those guys. I want to take a look at height, weight, speed, length, strength, physical dimensions, and athletic measurables that tend to play in the NFL. I've got a list of what the norms are at every position uh, for starters. And then um, when it comes to actually writing one profile, give me a player this year. I'll give you an example. I was going to ask about Desmond Ritter because you didn't have him in your mock draft. Okay. So Desmond Ritter. So, and by the way, mock drafts are how I think it will go. Not necessarily how I have it rated. Although I have an early second round grade on Desmond Ritter, but I have a late first to early second on pretty much all the quarterbacks. I don't think this is, you know, my grades are, are irrespective of, of who else is in the class, your grade is your grade based on any draft class that I were watching. For Desmond Ritter, what I would do for a quarterback, now they take more time, I will tell you that. So the first thing I'll do is I'll just Google the name and I'll go look at productivity. I'll go look at their bios from the team um, uh, from the team's website. Then I start looking for interviews. I want to hear the guy talk. I want to hear him interviewed by the media. I want to hear him interviewed for a piece that may be on, you know, NF, uh, on ESPN or maybe a local, you know, t television. So I want to get a feel for who they are when they're speaking. Then I, I'll, I'll, I'll look for um, any articles that I can find from local beat writers because I think local writers do an amazing job of capturing stories um, that don't hit the mainstream and and because they're there with the team all the time, they're talking to team contacts. That's a big part of what I do too. I want to find out who you are as a person before I watch you as much as I can. Of course, you know, that's an impossible task. 
Uh, but with Desmond Ritter, you know, it was interesting watching uh, videos of him. You know, I, I really got a feel for how much work he put into the offseason and reading an article. I think there was an article maybe from Cincinnati's hometown paper that talked about the work that he did and specifically what he did in the offseason which kind of tied into the jump that he had um, in his fourth year. I'll look for quotes from Ryan Day. What did Ryan Day, not Ryan Day, but Luke Fickle, what did Luke Fickle say about him? So when Luke Fickle talks about, you know, his growth into the offense and his maturity and understanding of the offense in year four of being a starter, his leadership qualities. So now I'm, I'm writing these down in notes. And then I go to the tape. So what I'll do in tape, I'll pull up uh, Pro Football Focus has a great tool called PFF Ultimate, and it's tied to my game tape. So I'll go look at a chart, the passing map. The first thing I'll do, and I'm giving you guys an exact replica of what I do for a quarterback. First thing I'm going to go do is look at all the deep throws that he had. I want to find out his deep ball touch. Then I go to the intermediate throws because I want to see how he throws intermediate passes because I feel like that's a true NFL pass you know you're you're going to have to throw it into windows you're going to have to throw with some ball placement and some accuracy so I'll go take a look there then for Desmond Ritter and the high-end quarterbacks I'll go look at all of their rollouts right or rollouts left I will take a look at all of their interceptions in over the course of their career if I have that much tape and then I want to go see Primarily their their touchdowns over the last two years. I'll go look at the touchdown throws too. A lot of times there are touchdown throws that anybody could make that that is a good quarterback. So, but every once in a while you see, wow, look at that arm. Wow, look at that touch. Wow, look at that ball placement. Look, look at the way he extended the play. So I'm looking for those wow moments inside of those touchdowns, or maybe not to be wowed and just see a level of consistency, like with Joe Burrow, where the delivery and the reading of the safeties was impeccable his senior season. It was incredible. Once I've done all that, I'll go to like three of their toughest games, whoever their three hardest levels of competition based on maybe the defensive front or based on the secondary, one or the other. Now with Cincinnati, it was easy. I had, you know, I, I was able to look at an Alabama game. I was able to see for Cincinnati, I looked at um uh I looked at Notre Dame. I looked at um uh, just trying to remember the 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 schedule here, Notre Dame. I looked at obviously Alabama and I can't remember the third. I probably looked at three or four games. And so by the end of that, now I got to go look at why he took sacks. So I got to go look at the sacks. How does he handle pressure? Then I go look at all the runs, not all of them. Well, most of them. I want to see how he runs. Cause in this day and age, especially with Desmond Ritter, he's, he's a guy that can run. And so you see what goes into it. Desmond Ritter probably took three hours uh, to get through all of that, to, especially for a person with ADD, uh, it can really be a challenge depending on the day that I'm dealing with. So uh, two hours at a minimum for a good quarterback. I, Joe Burrow took me five to six because I had a lot of stuff to work through because it didn't make sense for him to go from what he was in 18 to what he was in 19. That was a tough puzzle to solve there with Joe. I had to make sure I wasn't missing something. One more question on your, your process, Lance, before we uh, ask you just a little bit about your mock draft that came out yesterday. Mm -hmm. You've got some vast and deep connections with scouts, front office personnel, et cetera. Your father, of course, a long-time NFL offensive line coach. How do those relationships play into, if, if at all, your evaluations? Because from talking to you and DJ and, and, and all these uh, outstanding draft experts, you got to have conviction by what you see on the tape you write what you see uh, but if you're ho-hum on a guy 
and you talk to five NFL personnel people who love him or vice versa, do you just roll with your instincts or do you go back and look at the tape again and see if you see something that you missed before? No, you got to go back and look at it again. I mean, listen, we all have good days and bad days. There will be some days where I might have seen something on tape that created some confirmation bias for me, like we talked about, either positive or negative. And um, if you have a professional that you really respect, especially when it turns into more than one who have a different opinion, you got to go back and see if you see what what the other guys see. Now, I don't see the pass rush with Trayvon Walker, for example. I, I understand that he wasn't aligned outside, but I'm struggling to see an NFL high-level future elite rusher, but it is a projection. So you got to be able to project it. But I know NFL teams, you know, I respect DJ a lot and DJ sees it. And I know the NFL teams really love the traits and the explosiveness and they think he can be coached up. So, you know, I got to respect that at the same time, I'm going to go back look at it. And if my opinion doesn't change, or if it changes slightly, I'll make a slight great, great change. But I've done over 4,000 of these now. I have, I have a pretty good conviction on what I'm seeing. It's not the team so much as making sure that you don't, as it's called, scout with your ears. Like, don't let the outside noise, especially in draft media and mock drafts and all that, sway you. And that's easier said than done when everybody is group thinking the same thing. It's harder for you to have the conviction to stand still with what you're doing, or it can be harder uh, to do that. But when NFL people tell me something, I mean, these guys do it for a living. They're pros. I mean, I do it for a living too, but they have access into buildings. They have access into personal files on these guys. They have access into um, things that I don't have access to, and they have trained eyes. I mean, they're not doing a radio show from 7 to 10 in the morning uh, and then getting the tape afterwards. This is what they do all the time. So I You can get one wrong and still have a paycheck the next Yeah, week. no, I don't. Yeah, I don't mind it. I, and, I re, and I respect what they say, but I do have my own convictions. Like, I will argue with people in the league who I, you know, who I consider to be friends, and we'll argue about guys sometimes. That's just, you know, I'm not as high on Cam Jurgens. I had a scout tell me just uh, before I got on the air here, he just said Cam Jurgens isn't getting out of day two, maybe not round two. He's the center from Wisconsin. He's faster than most running backs in the MAC. And I said, mm, he's not for me in day two. He's not. I've got a. I've got like a, a fourth round grade on him. I think he's going day two, but that's just not my personal grade. He said, "Oh, I'm sorry. You don't like 245 pounds of lean muscle mass, 10 inch hands, and 33 and seven inch arms, seven eighths arms." Um, I, I said, "I like guys." who get other guys blocked. You just got Linder bombed. So we can have a little, and then he came back with a Creed Humphrey thing. But so uh, we have fun with each other, but I'm not afraid to, to disagree with those guys because they're going to miss too sometimes. Moving to your mock quickly before we let you go, Lance, Trayvon Walker, you've got at the top to the Jaguars at number one, Aiden Hutchinson at two, Thibodeau at five. So three of the top five defensive linemen, pass rush type guys and doing this podcast once a week for the last month or so and talking to some other guests, you know, it's pretty clear this is a relatively deep draft year for pass rushers. Is that a little bit of reflection of what we're seeing at the top of your mock? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a, it's a, it's a weak year at the top of the, of the round. Um, you know, it's not, I don't have any 7.0 players this year, which I consider to be, you know, future Pro Bowl type players, uh, multi-time Pro Bowl type players. So I don't have any of those guys in, in my mock this year uh, or in my evaluations. 
With that said, it is a very deep year for defensive ends, and it can work one of two ways, Chase. What it can do is it can it can cause an avalanche of the top guys going early, but it could also turn into once your tier one players are gone, what you could see is you could see some teams say, you know what, it's so deep in rounds two, three, four, that we're going to wait. We're going to pick a position that is a weaker position this year. It's not as loaded. And we're going to go linebacker here, or we're going to go defensive tackle here, and we'll wait on pass rush because we think we can find something in the third that is starting level, but we don't think there's really starting level you know, linebackers um, from the third round on. So it, it can work both ways. When you have a deep position, yes, it can. If you're deep there, a lot of times you're talented there. And so the best players are going to go early, but at the same time, sometimes when you're that deep, it can cause a team to wait a little bit. If they feel like they can get a starting level player in the middle round. Yeah, yeah no doubt. You've got Charles cross at uh, six to the Carolina Panthers, obviously a quarterback need with them. Uh, but this quarterback class has been maligned a little bit, uh, not expected to populate uh, the top 10. Certainly. Um, is it a situation with Carolina where perhaps uh, they can hold off, maybe wait till the second round, get a quarterback who falls, or maybe move up toward the back end of the first round with some later picks and take care of that quarterback need and and do something else uh, like you're suggesting uh, with an offensive tackle at number six? It's a tough call because they don't have a second or third round pick. And so that's the problem is they, they go straight from round one to round four. And Matt, you know, Matt uh, Rule needs to win now. He's on the hot seat. Can Malik Willis help him win now? I think his legs can help him into some positive situations, but the passing and the and the recognition and, and reading the defense, it just wasn't good this year. It wasn't at the level that it should be to be a first-round pick and certainly not a top-ten pick. Kenny Pickett, I think Kenny Pickett still has some scarring from, from previous uh, you know, pass rushes and sacks taken and things like that, so his feet – get a little bit happy in the pocket. Now, Kenny Pickett, to me, is more ready to come in and operate in an NFL passing attack. But I, I don't know that Kenny Pickett is a guy that beats out Sam Darnold right now. So uh, you could try to force feed it and maybe buy yourself an extra year by dra by drafting quarterback. I think Carolina, if they take quarterback, they'll I think they'll trade back potentially and then try to look at a quarterback then if they can add some draft capital. If you gave them a chance to say, we're going to give you somebody else moves up and we say, okay, now you can have Kenny Pickett, who you recruited at, at Temple. You can have Kenny Pickett at pick number um, 12. You know, let's say Minnesota traded up and you can get him at, at pick number 12 and we're giving you a second. They're going to give you a second round pick. Okay. They might do that. They might do that to add the draft capital too. I just don't know if they're going to draft a quarterback unless they really, really believe in a quarterback because, you know, uh, Matt Rule wouldn't necessarily be in this camp but because um, he is, I think, on the hot seat a little bit. But quarterbacks can get you fired. And as soon as Bill, Bill uh, Brian Billick once said that as soon as you draft a quarterback in the first round, the clock begins ticking on your job as a, as a head coach. And that, that may be not be that may not be apropos for Matt Rule because they're in a they're in a tough situation right now, but they need tackle very very badly. And getting a guy like Cross or Ikea Kwanu, or if they somehow pulled Evan Neal, I mean, or if they traded back and got Bernard Raymond, uh, not Bernard Raymond, but uh, Trevor Penning or Bernard Raymond, I don't care. 
you got guys that can maybe become good football players for you. Um, but but I, my point is, Chase, you just have to believe in the quarterback. You can't just take a quarterback because you need a quarterback. You take a quarterback because you like a quarterback. You have to. Because if you don't really like that quarterback, then you're basically committing the next three years to a single player that, that you're not really convicted uh, in. And, and you know, the fourth year, you're going to have to pay the fourth year regardless. And then you have a fifth year option you have to consider. So uh, you got to like who you're drafting. I have one, about it. one question real quick before we let you go, Lance. I wanted to ask you about Jamison Williams at 19 uh, to the Saints in your mock draft. It, when you're evaluating a guy like that who a clear talent, everybody saw what he was capable of doing, but he gets an injury in his last game. There's there's some real uncertainty about his health. How do you kind of weigh that into your evaluation and, and then where you see teams viewing something that that's a bit of an unknown? Well, it's hard. I mean, you have to look at timing first and figure out when will they come back. Like, I'd rather see an ACL than an Achilles injury, first and foremost. You have to look at what the injury is. Uh, plenty of guys have come back from ACLs and, and succeeded. Coming back from an Achilles injury, you know, is, is typically a little tougher because there's no guarantee that you get your explosiveness back. I think uh, with Jameson Williams, you know, because of the timing, you have to be resolved in the in in, in the fact that you're going to be without him for at least half of the season and maybe the entire season. So now you are going to be paying, you know, a minimum of a four-year contract for three years or potentially paying five years worth of contract for four years worth of play. You have to be okay with that. But the way you balance it is you say, okay, how talented is the player? Um, David Ajabo, for example, he's got an Achilles and he is, uh, was it an Achilles or I'm trying to remember if it's an Achilles or a knee, but anyway, is, yeah. yeah, David, David Ajabo is, is not a guy like he's still a little bit raw. You're probably not going to pay him five years to play four or four years to play three. Jamison Williams highly recruited at, at Ohio state before he went to Alabama. He's played at two wide receiver factories you kind of know what you have there, man. That's a special speed guy, and, and it's a player who really looked apart on tape. So you're willing, if you're the Saints, and really any first-round team that needs wide receiver. I've been digging around with teams to see if there's any chance he'd fall out. He's not falling out. In fact, he's going to go probably earlier than some people think. So I, I would be shocked if I wouldn't be shocked if he's the third wide receiver off the board. I think there's an outside shot that he could be the second receiver off the board, even with that knee injury. So talent, speed, and in this case with the Saints at 19, a chance to grow him along with the 16th pick that I gave them, which is Malik Willis, quarterback wide receiver, the same you know uh, concurrent growth pattern. It just made too much sense for me not to put Jameson Williams there. He is Lance Zierlein. You can follow him on Twitter at Lance Zierlein. He's also all over Houston Radio, does an outstanding job with that as well. Lance, we've kind of run uh, past the time. I told you we'd let you go, so thanks so much for joining us here on the Draftville Podcast. Great stuff. Looking to forward to seeing more from you here as the draft approaches here in about two, what are we, two weeks away? Three weeks, yep. two weeks away. Sneaking up. So, thanks a bunch, Lance. Thanks, guys. Appreciate all it. Right. Feels like we just did about four podcasts. <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, that was fascinating. I, I, really interesting, I think, to hear the process that goes into, and 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 I mean this when I say I've been reading his 
prospect profiles for years. And I, I'm not just saying that because he was on our podcast just now. I mean, like, I truly have gone over. I view him as probably the first place I look on these prospects, especially when you get into the late second day, third day. You know, you're getting guys taken in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. You don't know that much about him. And he's he's got the profile. What do you say, 400-something? I mean, like, he, yeah. he's ready for it. And for years, I've looked at what uh, Lance Zierlein said. So to have him on here was uh, was pretty neat to hear his process there. Yeah, if you go on NFL.com and you pull up a draft scouting profile on any prospect you can think of, really, uh, Chad Reuter, who we had uh, in our first podcast episode here on Draftville, he actually does a part of that profile. I think he writes uh, kind of a bio script on each guy. Lance follows with more of the nuts and bolts football evaluation part of it. Uh, list of strengths, list of weaknesses for everybody. Uh, even the very top guys in the draft who are going top five, he'll let you know what the what the weaknesses are. Uh, it's pretty impressive stuff uh, there from from Lance. No question about it. Gentry. Uh, uh, Interesting that, to hear too how high he was on Jamison Williams. That that to me. That's been an interesting topic this whole time for me to see how far he could potentially fall in the first round. And I say that as somebody who routinely writes about the Tennessee Titans, who has made who have made a habit out of taking guys in the first round who've fallen because of injury. Right. <laughs> so I had an eye on Jamison Williams in the back of my mind this whole time. But uh, to hear Lance just there, you know, he had him mocked. 19 and said that uh, he could be the second receiver taken in the first round, which, uh, you know, you being down there with Alabama's program, would that surprise you? It's not, it wouldn't surprise me to see him go in the first round at all, but the second receiver taken. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that would probably uh, uh, surprise me quite a bit. I mean, you're talking about uh, a pretty stout group at that position. You got the two from Ohio state, uh, Drake London, uh, the USC kid, a lot at that spot. Uh, in the first round more than likely. So we'll see where Jamison Williams falls. The ACL injury, before we get out of here, Trav, uh, uh, Gentry, we're uh, coming up on the end of the podcast already. It's just it's flown by with all the great stuff we got from Lance. Uh, but, you know, the ACL injury has really evolved over the years from a potential, and I'm going back decades, it could be a career ender, it would put you out for a full season. Some, a lot of times, almost no matter when you suffered it, and with the advancements, the medical advancements that have been made, uh, starting with arthroscopic surgery, but even since then, uh, they've done so much that guys are coming back quicker than ever, uh, less than a year, less than 12 months uh, on a lot of these ACL tears, and they vary. Uh, it's not fair to lump them all into the same category. Some are more severe than others. Uh, you know, is there cartilage damage? Is there damage to other ligaments? All those things factor into play. Uh, but ACLs just just aren't as frightening for a guy's career as they once were. And he said David Ojabo was an Achilles. I've, I've yeah. I I, I I thought that was the case as well. And it was an interesting point he makes because I do believe that is probably a more serious. Yeah, I mean, that that's a guy who was pretty solid first round, and now you're not really seeing his name as much uh, since that uh, suffered an unfortunate injury there on his pro day. But, uh, all right, well, that, that'll do it for this edition of Draftville. Good edition of Draftville. Hope everybody enjoyed it. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcasts. 
Drop us in a review and a rating while you're at it. We'd appreciate five stars, of course, for Chase Goodbread. I'm Gentry Estes. Thanks so much for listening.